drinking and lusting and his hunger for power became known to more and more people. Greetings from Russia. I was trying to think of how to say something in Russian to open up the pod. But, uh, you know, you'd think with 24 hours to prepare, I would have looked up one word. Um, but you'd be wrong. Because this is live from the studio daily. And my name is Jimmy Seleski. Niet, niet, niet. That means no, I believe. How we doing? It's Freaky Friday. I'm loving it. Had a couple beers before this. Uh, went to an old town classic of a bar right there in Belvedere Square in Baltimore. Swallow at the Hollow. I met up with Eric. We had a little business meeting. That's correct, folks. Eric and I, Eric uh, Glazer of the LFTS podcast, we had a little business meeting. Uh, we usually try to have a business meeting once every eight years. So this is our second one ever, our first one being um, right before we started the podcast um, on episode negative two. Had a great conversation, just kind of locked in stone what the dealio is, doing a little Monday through Friday daily show action every weekday. At five, you get to listen to the likes of little old me. And then Saturdays, we're coming at you with the, the podcast you've come to know and love. L-F-T-S, Ravens, Ravens. I'm looking forward to it. No, Swallow at the Hollow was cool. I, you know, I, I'm a big uh, Indian food guy. My favorite restaurant ever is probably Katmandu Kitchen in Towson. I just love it. I had a coworker. Um... Uh, when I worked at the Melting Pot, named Matt Wecker. I think it was Wecker. It could have been Wecker. It was spelled W-E-K-E-R. Rest in peace, brother. Um, we worked together at the Melting Pot, and he came in one day with this dish, this glorious dish. Um, it was uh, this oranges sauce with chicken and rice, and he had some what I thought was pita bread at the time, and I come to find out that this was chicken tikka masala. Chicken, tikka, masala, and non bread. I was 24 years old when I learned about this substance. And uh, the next day, we went and got Kathmandu together, ordered it before a shift. And I have been deathly hooked ever since. I get everything there. Not really chicken, tikka, masala as much because it's a little bit more on the fattening side. It is the national dish of Britain, which you would imagine that. Uh, uh, a, a country that is known for such cuisine as beans and toast and pudding that isn't actually pudding, that their national dish would have to be something that isn't their own uh, little Indian cuisine. I think that their contribution to chicken tikka masala was the cream. I think the, I don't know which of those words means cream. I know chicken means chicken. I'm assuming masala is something spicy. Um... So I'm going to go ahead and say maybe tikka is cream. So the, the Brits contributed the tikka, but it's good. But anyway, there's another Indian restaurant down the road in the city, city of Baltimore, um, called Kohinoor, and they deliver till midnight. So sometimes if I'm getting that Indian itch at like 11 p.m., I'll, I'll order from there. And they're across the street from this old neighborhood bar called Swallow at the Hollow that's been there since I can remember. Um, I always assumed that this place was dead. I always assumed that it was on like the brink of closing 
that whole kind of area has kind of gone in ebbs and flows. It looks like a lot of places have closed, but it also looks like stuff, stuff is getting built up right there at Northern Parkway and York Road. I've come to find out that place is popping. Swallow at the Hollow is popping. Great food. We could barely get a freaking table. I didn't even think they would be open, much less popping off. So that was a nice experience. And like I said, you know, Eric and I had a nice time. We don't really see each other too much outside of the podcast on a, in a one-on-one setting. We have the same mutual circle of friends. We get together and go out to bars and watch the games and shit all together. But that's not really, you know, we're just kind of around each other. So it was nice to like have a conversation, like a real conversation one-on-one for the first time in a very long time, not on mic. Although I wish it was on mic. It was a good conversation. But uh, yeah, it was cool. And uh uh, we have a, a pretty solid show today. I, I obviously opened up with that Rasputin. I opened up with that as a uh, what we call a joke. It's a joke. Um, because I'm feeling a little Russian today. I'm feeling a little Russian. I told you guys that interview was p- coming out last night. Tucker Carlson and uh, Vladimir Putin. Never heard of him. Vladimir Putin. The leader of Russia? The president? I don't know how that works over there. He's been president since 2000. At what point are you just a king or a czar or whatever they call it? But he's the maybe prime minister. I don't know. I feel like prime minister is just what they call anybody who doesn't want to be called a president. You're like, oh, you're the prime minister. Okay, dude. Um, so he's one of those things. Um, Got to be honest. I I dug the interview. I know that... Uh, Prior to the release of the interview, like we were discussing yesterday, there was a lot of speculation. It was treason, treason, traitor, Tucker Carlson. How dare you interview someone, you piece of shit. No, it was, it was, it was exactly, it was exactly what I think needed to happen. It was actually very interesting. Now, I was correct in assuming that Vladimir Putin does not speak conversational English. That would have been sick, though. I feel like that would have changed the whole dynamic if Vladimir Putin was could just speak regular English, and it was just like the Joe Rogan experience with Shane Gillis. Bro, dude, you crazy? Bunch of fucking pussies, dude. <laughs> that would have been cool. You're like watching it. It's like Theo Vaughn. <laughs> Yeah, man, my, my friend had a had a, a girlfriend from Ukraine, and she was um she had like three feet. That would have been cool. That would have been fun. But it was, you know, I I gotta say, just just before I even get in to the interview itself, I gotta say, those translators are grinding. They both have earpieces, um, Tucker and and Vladimir. I'm on first name basis with both of these gentlemen. And uh, the translator is just like in real time translating, which I guess is like what the job is. You see it all the time with sign language people, but I don't really count that because I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't get over how silly it is that we have sign language interpreters on television. Has anyone ever considered closed captioning? I can watch a live show on television, like a press conference or a um, 
you know, like ESPN where they're like, it's not completely scripted. Like they're talking and shit. And the tele, the, the CC captioning is like keeping up. It might be like a couple seconds behind, but like I can, you know, if I'm on the treadmill at the gym, I can read what's occurring on ESPN and it's a live thing. I get it one, I get it's different live versus like, you know, if you're watching like a pre-filmed like show where obviously all the dialogue is already baked in the cake, but they, they are able to do it with live things, live news, you know, ESPN, like I said, press conferences, things like that. What is the point of the, of the sign language person in those settings other than to, to go, Ooh, look at us. Ooh, look at us. We are sign. We're, we're inclusive. Deaf people can read, right? They can read. Why not just, if I'm, if you're deaf and you're watching TV, just put on closed captioning. I don't understand. I truly don't understand. I don't get sound at the gym when I'm watching it on the treadmill, like I said. I am, for all intents and purposes, deaf. I watch ESPN as a deaf person most days for 30 minutes a day on the elliptical. Never once have I needed a person on the screen. I never needed that. Not once. So that's a bunch of bullshit. But real translators, that's nuts. I'm sorry, dude. Vladimir Putin's like, you know, speaking in Russian, which just sounds like English in reverse. And, and the, the trans are just like, yes, are we here for a serious interview or perhaps maybe a talk show? This guy, like, how do you keep up with that, dude? I don't even know if I could translate English to English in real time. Like, if, 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 if my friend was talking and I just had to be, like, on a two-second delay just repeating what he said in the same language— I'm not convinced I could do that. This guy's doing it from Russian to English, and then Tucker chimes. <laughs> it's just, it's, you know, it's so true. And then he he translates that in English. <laughs> How the fuck are you doing that, bro? It's 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 admirable. That guy that guy needs more more clout. The translator guy. That's a high-stress situation. Is that not the translator for the American journalist interviewing the dictator of Russia during a time of global conflict? You can't really be messing words up in that situation. <laughs> not really the time to mix up your P's and Q's. You know that guy was nervous. I mean, yeah, sure. Tucker Carlson was probably nervous. I don't think Putin was nervous. Putin was like, dude, I'm going to come in here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up with a 30-minute history lesson on Russia. I got that in my... I, I know that like the back of my hand. I'll just rattle that off for a half hour. That'll set the tone. That's what it was, too. Um, it was just interesting because the whole... It, it's a two-hour interview, and, and Tucker prefaces the interview by by saying you know he opens up right out the gate with being like so why did why did you invade ukraine and then vladimir putin's like let me take you back to the year 862 <laughs> that's right 862 the year of our lord over a thousand years ago for the founding of russia 
And we all buckled up, we strapped in, and we got a fucking history lesson. A, a good history lesson. And, and, and Tucker even said himself in the, in the preface, in the prologue, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, you know, at first they thought it was like some kind of like filibuster thing where Vladimir Putin was just stalling or like making a power move by just like fucking going off on this tangent. But he realized that it was genuine and that Putin very legitimately believed that this historical context going back to the founding of Russia was necessary in order to understand the current conflict. And I think that that's, like, cool. I think that's cool and it's different. Um, because we always, you know, we talk about Israel, Palestine and things, and it's like everybody wants to have their, you know, take and their opinion and want to be on the right side and want to, you know, want to make, want to inject themselves into the story in some way, like they're affected by it, you know. Um, but, it, you know, these things, the, especially as Americans, I, I, look, I try not to be that guy, but like, you know, it is crazy. Like, it's crazy to think that, like, I've heard like conspiracy theories that, which I, I thought were actually interesting that were saying like the, the years between 600 and 1400 didn't actually happen. They were made up. And there's like a part of me that's like, I could believe that. According to me, not much really went down during those years. But according to reality, apparently a lot went down during those years. I didn't really tune in until 1776 with, with GW and the boys. You know, obviously I followed Greek history, but, you know, Greeks were pretty much cashed out by then. We, we, Greeks really, Greeks as a country, we, we peaked in high school, <laughs> high school being, uh, 3000 BC. <laughs> we were like the cool guys. We had a car in, in, in 1500 BC. All the other countries were looking at us like, man, how come Greece gets to hang out with all the cool chicks? He has his own place. He has his own Parthenon. They have their own democracy. That's so, that's so unfair. And now we're just like living in the past. <laughs> yeah, remember that time? Remember Zeus? Hey, the Olympics? You're welcome. It's like, dude, that was literally 3,000 years ago. Okay, move on. Move on, Greece. Hey, you're welcome. Um, anyway, yeah, Russia. Russia was doing shit during those years that I, I, I could have been convinced didn't happen. 862, the founding of Russia. They celebrated their thousand year anniversary as a country in, you guess it, 1862, a thousand years later, to the, to the dot. I mean, they had a thousand years of anticipation. They nailed it right on the day. Um, and, and like when you look at it through that lens, I'm just going to start there. When you look at it through that lens, it just is interesting. And like I said yesterday, necessary. It's necessary to understand that this is a real thing with history that goes so far beyond anything American history could really compare to. 
I mean, these countries, like, that's what I love about soccer. You know, I'm not a big soccer guy. I do love the World Cup. I like the World Cup because it's country on country, and that's cool. But I also like it because the history in these European countries goes so far back. Like, in America, it's like, Baltimore versus Pittsburgh. And it's like, yeah, my grandfather worked at the steel mill in Bethlehem Steel in Baltimore and Sparrows Point. Your grandfather worked at the Pittsburgh one. Fuck you. And it's like 80-year-old beef. Dude, you go to Europe, they have like thousand-year-old beef. Like the French and the English are like, dude, I haven't liked you since before. I haven't, I, I've like, it's, it's just insane. It's just insane. And then as we take this American perspective and you look at like the Russia-Ukraine thing and everybody, you know, it, it, like, look, have your opinion about Putin. But I've always thought it was just a ridiculous, ridiculous thing to just write the, oh, he's a crazy madman. He's just an evil, unhinged madman. Really? Is that really all there is to it? Is that all I need to know? Everything you need to know about the... Russia-Ukraine war. Putin, bad. Ukraine, good. It's good. No, clearly not. And so when you listen to these people talk, you're like, okay, look, I don't even have to agree with you, but I at least have to acknowledge I didn't know all this shit. And any intellectually honest person would also have to acknowledge that you learned something from that. So, so that was cool. I also just want to throw in a quick tidbit real quick before I actually start talking about uh, diving further into the, to the interview. Um, first and foremost, first takeaway, besides how crazy that translator, crazy awesome that translator guy was, can you imagine, can you imagine our president engaging in such a conversation. Seriously. Can you picture Joe Biden sitting there for two straight hours in a free-form conversation making, speaking off the cuff, making genuine points, whether right or wrong? Because I can't. I literally can't picture it, probably because it's not picturable. I mean, you're looking at this guy and you're like, holy shit. This, this is like, like I said, like him or hate him, that's a leader of a country. Like this guy knows every in and out of the history of his lands, his identity, his soul is with Russia. He can tell you every single meeting he's had, every single president we've had. He knew that the Tucker Carlson tried to join the CIA. That must have, that must have shook him a little bit, by the way. You're, I mean, you're going, he's sitting in the fucking Kremlin. It looks like a goddamn, uh, the, the thing at the beginning of every Disney movie with the star goes, oh, that's the Kremlin, you know, and they're sitting inside that bitch. And, and, and you're probably surrounded by the fucking Russian, you know, whatever their special forces are. Just any Russian would be intimidating to me. They're the craziest white people by far. Um, and, and he, the topic of the CIA comes up and, and Vladimir 
Putin just like real quickly, like kind of snidely just drops like, yeah, the CIA, which I understand you tried to join. And I don't know if that was like a secret, but it, there's got to be something a little bit like chilling when this extremely powerful man who's obviously killed people both personally and via his, you know, underlings um, has like, he knows, he knows about you, dude. Like he knows, he knows your life. He's looked into you. He knows your wife's name. He knows where your kids go to school. Like this guy has obviously looked into you. You're on his motherfucking radar. You better come correct. I know there was a part of Tucker Carlson that was like, ooh, shit. Because I don't think Putin knows me. I don't think. And if he did, I'd be a little, you know, I'd be a little shook for a second. But um, yeah, I mean, just just the fact that this guy sat down and and forget the fact that it had to be intermediated by a translator which could, you could argue either makes it easier or harder. But I mean, just a, a free-flowing conversation where you understood everything he was saying. Again, whether you agree with it or not, you at least understood what he was saying. He was making sense. I can't picture it. Like, that's, that's who we're up against. And then you look at our political leaders and you're like, dude, I, I, there's a party that's like, we might be fucked. We might be fucked. The only upside of that situation is that apparently, as I and most thinking people suspected, Putin pointed out that, or he pretty much alluded to the the reality that, yeah, um, you know, I've made plenty of verbal agreements and all kinds of like deals and and shit like that, and had plenty of conversations with you know, the past fucking five presidents, you know, he, the guy's been president for 25 years. He's seen, he's, he's worked with Clinton. He's worked with Bush. He's worked with Bush senior. He's worked with Obama. He's worked with Trump. He's worked, he, he's been through all that Biden, all of it, you know? So it, it, it's just, you look at you, he, he basically pointed out the, the idea that like, yeah, it, and Tucker kind of called it out. He was like, so you're basically saying that like the people that are actually making the decisions in our country, America, the United States aren't really, uh, it's, it's not, it's not the president. It's not that it's like, you know, there's a, there's a ruling class that is unelected. That's actually pulling the strings here. Um, because that's kind of what's according to Putin. And, 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 and if you look throughout history, You'll, you'll understand that is the case. Look into one of my favorite examples is the United Fruit Company in, in Central America and Panama and the Banana Republics and things like that. Just, just a, a, look at the war in Iraq. Look at all these things where like, you know, global conflicts, uh, you know, um, what's it called? Coup d'etats and things like that. You know, where f the CIA going around the world funding uh, rebel groups to overthrow uh leaders in countries that don't go along with the American game plan or not even the American game plan, but just like whoever the CIA is actually working for to benefit. It's obvious. It's obvious. It's not like, this isn't an Alex Jones conspiracy. It's like, I mean, look at the history, look at, look at, look at something, read something. I mean, if you legitimately think that Joe Biden is currently sitting in his office 
making executive decisions uh, and tweeting his own tweets. I mean, it, it's, I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you. Because um, you're, you're on a different, we're, we're just on a different reality at that point. Um, so it's just it, like, just to kind of, you know, to us, to Americans, it's a conspiracy to suggest that the CIA is involved in all these kind of like uh, subversion and things like that. But when you're not American, it's just like an objective fact. Like other countries from the outside looking in are like, yeah, dude, obviously, like this shit's a fucking joke. Obviously, you know? And to us, we're like, I don't know, they wouldn't do that. You know, because we're in America and we're we're accustomed to this idea that every other country is full of corruption and fucked up and rigged elections and, and fucking, you know, oppression and ruling class, deep state, unelected people controlling the strings. Every other country does. Not us. We're America. We don't do that. Sure, every other country gets in civil wars, but we well, that's not going to happen to us. We're the one country in the history of the world that that simply cannot exist. And then, like, again, you talk to somebody who's not from here, they're like, yeah, dude, trust me. It goes on here, and it goes on in your country. And it's just interesting to hear that perspective. Um, another quick thing. Uh, I happened to be watching Fox News today while I was on the elliptical with closed captioning on. I, of course, hired uh, somebody to, to stand in front of the elliptical and, and sign language it for me since I, you know, couldn't read the closed captioning. And um, not a single mention that I saw in the 30 minutes that I was watching Fox. Not a single mention of this interview. And I get it. Have I been watching Fox all day today? No. So it, there's a possibility that they have mentioned it at some point. But you would think that an interview of this magnitude would be a top story. Perhaps a story that you would, that would make it into the cycle once every half hour instead of whatever the fuck else is going on. You know what I saw on Fox News today instead of uh, any mention of the Tucker Carlson, Vladimir fucking Putin interview? I saw... Super Bowl predictions. I saw a legitimate segment on Fox News, not ESPN, not ESPN2, not ESPN The Ocho. No, Fox fucking News. Not Fox 45, Fox News. Breaking down the Super Bowl. Who does this guy think's gonna win? Well, let me tell you something. What the fuck are you talking about? First of all, we already have 14 channels that are talking about the Super Bowl this weekend. You're a news channel, a political news channel. A person, the number one person from your network, Tucker Carlson, before he was ousted, has just conducted an interview with the leader of a global superpower nation that we are at odds with in the midst of a proxy war. A two-hour bombshell interview. And you're talking about the Super Bowl. And no mention. If, there is, if that is not the most blatant 
display of media, not even bias. It's beyond bias. There's a couple reasons they wouldn't cover it. The main reason probably being they don't want to divert any attention to um, Tucker Carlson, who I guess they're at odds with now, right? I mean, they, they ousted him. So they're not going to like give him any, any clout. They're not going to give him, oh, by the way, let's talk about this interview that, that was conducted by this guy that we fired who now has a bigger base than, than we do as an entire network. But, but even that, it's like, dude, isn't it bigger than your personal fucking business shit? And the answer is no. So, so there you go. There you have it. As I've been saying, as everyone's been saying, the news is a business first. Their job is profit. Their job is their own personal interests. So not only are they interested in keeping you watching with alarmist stories and, and you know fueling the fire of division and things like that, but they're also blatantly ignoring massive developments that you actually should know about because of business disagreements. So, sorry, American public. You don't need to know about the Putin interview because Tucker Carlson is a dick. It's a business, guys. CNN, MSNBC, Fox News, all that shit. Obviously. I mean, Fox News, I mean, they got to come up with better names for their shows. The Ingram Angle. The Faulkner Focus. It's just like the whoever's doing the interview and then their last name and then a word that sounds mildly newsy. The Ingram Angle with Lauren Ingram. Like, how do they do that? Like, you get a show and they're like, okay, first order of business, your last name is Seleski. Okay, we got, um, how about the Seleski? Uh, fucking, jeez. <laughs> I don't know. This is why I don't have a show on Fox News because I don't know if there's anything that works with Seleski. <laughs> the Seleski standard. <laughs> I wonder what my show would be if I was on Fox News. I do know I wouldn't be talking about this interview right now. I know that for a fucking fact. Um, let's, let's talk about what I found to be the most interesting. I'm, I'm going to play one clip from this uh, interview um, there's, uh, I mean, I, I cannot recommend enough watching the whole thing. It's a two hour long interview. There's a lot that you can take away from it. I just thought that this was pretty cool. This is a good little thing here. So. Who blew up Nord Stream? <laughs> you for sure. I was busy that day. <laughs> Nate, it, do you have, do you have, <laughs> uh, I did not blow up Nord Stream. Uh, <laughs> thank you, though. I love that. You personally may have an alibi, but the CIA has no such alibi. Woo! Did Don't you say have what? that NATO or the CIA did it? You know, I won't get into details, but people always say in such cases, look for someone who is interested. But in this case, we should not only look for someone who is interested, but also for someone who has capabilities. 
because there may be many people interested, but not all of them are capable of sinking to the bottom of the Baltic Sea and carrying out this explosion. These two components should be connected, who is interested and who is capable of doing it. But I'm confused. I mean, that's the biggest act of industrial terrorism ever, and it's the largest emission of CO2 in, in history. Okay, so if you had evidence, and presumably given your security services, your intel services, you would, that NATO, the US, CIA, the West did this, why wouldn't you present it and win a propaganda victory? <laughs> <laughs> Stupid American. In the war of propaganda, it is very difficult to defeat the United States because the United States controls all the world's media and many European media. Damn! The ultimate beneficiary of the biggest European media are American financial institutions. Don't you know that? So it is possible to get involved in this work but it is cost prohibitive, so to speak. We can simply shine the spotlight on our sources of information and we will not achieve results. It is clear to the whole world what happened and even American analysts talk about it directly. It's true. Yes, I, but, but here's a question you may be able to answer. Wow. wow -oh! I, I I've been thinking for a while I think, here's the thing, I think most people have come to the conclusion that America or NATO or the CIA or, or, or the West, let's just call it the West, I don't know what exact group on our side blew up the Nord Stream pipeline, but it was obviously us. And, and if I recall... And I could be wrong, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure when that happened, it would have been, I think it was very shortly after or like in the same ballpark time period when the Ukraine invasion happened in February 2022. Um, it was pretty much declared to be or at least insinuated that Putin did this. Putin blew up his own pipeline to uh, Europe, which supplies natural gas goes into like the, the eastern part of Germany or whatever. Um, massive supply of natural gas to Europe from Russia. And I guess we were all kind of led to believe that this was Putin. Um, for some reason, blowing up his own pipeline, uh, as opposed to, I don't know, just shutting off the valve, which I think he could do. I imagine there's like a valve. I'm no gas engineer i'm no fuel doctor but i'd have to imagine that a massive billion dollar under the sea pipe is uh might have a valve i mean my water main at my apartment has a valve no let's blow it up fuck them blow it up so he's of course suggesting that that we did it which is a given. And like I always say, you always know when you're right when they stop talking about it. COVID came from bat soup, right? And a pangolin. A pangolin was eating bat soup or something, and then it just so happened to be coincidentally in a wet market across the street from the Wuhan 
coronavirus lab in the very same city that was that was synthesizing coincidentally this exact same virus at the same time. Um, and that's it didn't leak from there, idiot, Dumbo. It leaked from the the bat soup. And you're racist if you think that you know the lab the the virus originated in a lab. Were you racist? No, obviously it originated from China because they fucking eat gross shit. That's the non-racist take. Fucking dirtbag bigot. Think it came from a lab, asshole. And then, you know, after a couple months, we all realize, you know, pretty much intuitively that that was bullshit. And then they just stopped talking about it. Now we all kind of just accept that it obviously started in China. It obviously leaked from a lab in China that was likely funded in part by our own health institutions and the World Health Organization and 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 NATO, U.S., you know, whatever. Um, and so we're not going to talk about that. We're just going to stop talking about it. Like, yeah, we were wrong. What are you talking about? We've moved on. COVID, it's 2024. Why? Are we, who cares? Who cares where it came from? You know, it's over now, right? Who cares? Why do we need? Why do we need to get all? Why do we need to fucking get all mixed up and? Oh, how did this virus that killed millions, hundreds of millions of people, and shut down the global economy for for two years and destroyed, you know, the American dollar and you know put millions of people out of work and and separated families and divided the you know guys come on it's over it's over quit living in the past we're just gonna stop talking about it the vaccine is gonna stop transmission of covid and we're, and you have and and if you don't get it we're, we're gonna make a law that says that you have to get it if you want to do xyz and then and then all of a sudden the vaccine didn't stop anybody from getting covid at all and then they change the definition of the what we never come on what oh you think oh oh okay i get it so oh you're telling me that when we made the vaccine we were suggesting that the vaccine was going to actually make you immune to the virus what are you fucking crazy what do you think a vaccine is vaccine doesn't make you immune to the virus Name me one vaccine that actually stops you from getting a... No, that's not what a vaccine is, bozo. Come on, silly. Come on, you're better than that. That's not what a vaccine is. It just means like, you know, you you still get it. You still spread it. And then, you know, like you, you get like a little less sick, maybe, probably. I mean, you didn't die, right? Well, yeah, I, I didn't die. Well, you probably would have died. You, de- you probably would have died if you didn't have the vaccine. So, you're welcome. Yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, true. True. And then they stopped talking about it. No more talk of the, the, the mandate. They just stopped talking about it. Now we, now we just don't bring it up. We're just on to the next thing. Nord Stream Pipeline. Uh, Putin did it. Putin blew up his own pipe. You sure? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure. Okay, guys, we're... We're the news here. I'm pretty sure we got a handle on it. Thanks. Thanks. Okay. And then a week, two weeks later, uh, I don't think we did that. What? what are you talking about? Nord Stream? Okay, who cares? What? Guys, there's bigger fish to fry here. Nord Stream, who? Let's not get all mixed up in, in who, who blew up the massive natural gas pipeline that fuels the entire European economy. Guys, relax. We're never going to get to the bottom of it. It doesn't matter. We're past it. And that's how this works. That would normally be where I'd snap my fingers, but I'm holding a lighter A and B, even if I wasn't, I can only, this is the max speed I can snap. 
which is not, I need to be at least 150% faster in order to have impact when I snap. That's the pace. When you make a good point, pop, pop, pop. you make a point like this. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. People are just like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> so I'm cursed with not being able to emphasize my, my takes via snap. But, you know, there are worse curses in life, I hear. Um, yeah, so that was, that was interesting. That was interesting. That was probably my favorite part. There was a weird section where they got on to, like, Nazis. And um, that, was pretty, that was pretty wild. Um, because I had never really um, considered, you know, in America, we're so used to, like, the Russians hate the Nazis. Because the Russians lost, like, more people in World War II than I think, like, a bunch of other countries, if not every other country combined. It's something, it's something radical like that. Like, I, the Russians definitely lost the most people of any individual country. It may have been orders of magnitude. Like, they were just fucking throwing motherfuckers at the Germans. And, the, you know, like, the, it was, they, they really sacrificed a lot in that war fighting Nazism and they do not fuck with Nazis and they were kind of bringing up another underspoken for little tidbit about Ukraine which is like they have like real Nazis and that's a kind of that was kind of a left that was like kind of a curveball for me Ukraine has real Nazis not 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 our Nazis see America we have like we have like our Nazis and when we're talking about Nazis, we're like, yeah, you know, like somebody who like uh, thinks there's like two genders, Nazi, um, uh, you know, maybe uh, an unborn fetus is is like is still a life Nazi. Oh, you voted for Trump and or just vote Republican in general Nazi. The, the, the plight of. Uh, certain communities in America is, is it can be attributed to more than just sy systemic racism. Nazi. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking real Nazis. Real Nazis. Not, not a conservative delivering a speech on a college campus. So as an American, it was like, it was, uh, I didn't, I had to like kind of, I had to like kind of take a pause and be like, okay, because my, after having heard all this talk about the dangers of Nazism um, in America and realizing that it's just basically anyone who on mildly on the right side of the aisle is being castigated as a Nazi. Um, I just don't take it seriously, uh, because it's not something to be taken seriously. I don't think I've really ever met a real neo-Nazi. Uh, it's not, it doesn't appear to me, I'm gonna go on a limb here, doesn't appear to me to be the number one threat in, in American society. I would imagine that something that is the number one threat in American society, I would have at least seen once. And, and you know. So in Ukraine, we're talking about like real Nazis. Like they, 
they fuck with Hitler. They identify with like apparently, you know, Putin was talking about how like, you know, you know, Ukraine was in this conflict with Poland and they were being oppressed by the Polish. And, you know, obviously Hitler invaded Poland famously as like his first major move. And uh, the Ukrainians, you know, kind of he helped the Ukrainians sided with him because he was he was the enemy of their enemy. So when the Ukrainians kind of gained their independence and got their territories back, they kind of they kind of lionized Hitler in a way. And they a lot apparently a lot of the Ukrainian identity is kind of uh, imbued with uh, the Nazi party and Hitler and how they got their independence. So that's like a real thing there. I'm going to turn this heater off. I'm getting fucking hot. I also kind of saw, and I guess I kind of forget that like Russia is like, they're pretty communist. They're pretty lefty. So when I, it's, it's just like kind of weird. You know how like when you go to like other parts of the world, like even during COVID, they were kind of saying like, yeah, it's weird. Like in this country, I forgot if it was like Israel or like Britain or something like that. I think it was Israel where they were saying like, yeah, it's actually the conservatives that are super like scared of COVID. And then it's like the the left-wing people that are saying like, don't make me do this shit, whatever. Um, so it's like, oh, that's weird because it's the opposite in America. It's the the right that was like, fuck this. I'm not doing all this bullshit. And the left was like, no, no. So like, it is weird how like, I kind of associate the left and right of the political aisle with certain like uh, sentiments and, um, you know, and, and certain like archetypes. And you look at Putin, you see like his position, you see his posture, you see how he carries himself, you see how he speaks. And I just kind of associate that with like a straight shooting kind of just like fucking right wing guy, like their Trump basically. And then he's like, no, we need to silence. We need to like, we cannot allow the certain ideologies to blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, this sounds awfully like lefty to me. This doesn't sound very free speech of you, Putin. I'm like, oh Yeah. They're a communist dictatorship. I, I almost forgot. I, the USSR, I almost forgot. So that's kind of, again, it's just like, if nothing else, it's just necessary to, to watch it and to understand history. And then when you walk out of it after the, when you walk out on the other side after two hours of watching this interview, you walk out with a more educated perspective. It might not change the way you feel about anything. I don't think it really changed the way I feel about anything for me. I always kind of assume, you know, he talks a lot about how, you know, the whole like broken promises by NATO and they said they wouldn't advance closer to the Russian border and they kept on doing it. And then in 2008, they said that the door was open for Ukraine to join NATO, which was like a major fucking, you know, no go for for Russia. They were like, no, that was like absolutely like the last straw. You cannot, we're not going to have you all the way up on our border like that and blah, 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 blah. Like, so like I always kind of understood even without knowing the details that like there's more to this than what we're being told. You know, the story that we were told again is just that Putin is this wacko power hungry maniac who just decided to invade Ukraine because he wants more land and whatever and, you know, is willing to nuke the entire world to 
for whatever. It's like, and I'm sitting there thinking like, there's no way that this is actually the full story. And of course it's not. And uh, so luckily I already had that intuition about it. But then when you actually hear their side of it now, now I actually have, uh, you know, a more obviously nowhere near the level that I would actually purport to to have an educated opinion on the matter. But um, I would say that just by watching that, I probably have a more intricate understanding of the conflict than, let's say, the average person, which is not saying much at all because I don't feel like I know shit. But if anything, that's more of a testament to how much the average American doesn't know that me, a guy drinking a, a very expensive Booker's whiskey that was given to me out of a shot glass that hasn't been washed in a year uh, and smoking a cigarette um, can can say that I actually kind of have any level of understanding at all about the Ukraine-Russian conflict that we've been involved in for the past two years and and that the average American can't even say that. So watch the fucking thing. Watch the fucking thing. Um, the first takeaway you'll have is, wow, I can't believe anybody tried to make this a big deal like it was like this horrible thing. I can't believe anybody tried to equate this to espionage. I can't believe anybody ever tried to like challenge whether or not it should happen at all. And then you'll realize that's all bullshit, so you go into that with a good perspective. And then you fucking just take away from it what you take away from it. You can only leave a conversation smarter. That's what I always say. Um, anyway, I mean, that was, I, I, I didn't mean to take up a whole podcast on the, on the interview, but I guess I did. I'm looking at my notes and that was, that was the only thing I had written down. So I, I, I rescind that statement that I did mean to take up an entire show on that interview because I think it's warranted. I think it's warranted. Um, other than that, can't go without your rook looks folks. I'm going to come clean. Sure. Did the first official rook look Lose? Of course it did, guys. Let me tell you why. Because the first official Rook look was a boosted three-leg parlay. It was a plus 490 parlay. That parlay had about a a, a 17% chance of actually hitting. We discussed what positive EV means yesterday. It means that the payout times the amount of times you're going to win is greater than the amount you lose. That was a bad way of explaining it. <laughs> like I said, we talked about it yesterday. Just means the payout justifies the probability of winning. A payout of, um, you know, plus 500, a five times multiple payout, you're, you only have to win that one out of every six times just to break even. So, yeah, the likelihood of us winning that uh, parlay last night was was only 17%. So I wasn't expecting to win it. The point is it's a profitable profitable bet in the long term when it's boosted. Um, now, that being said, I guess I didn't have to lose all three legs of the parlay. Probably could have done better there. I mean, Towson was six-point favorites. They lost. We had them straight up. They still lost. Not even just didn't cover. They just lost by, tw- by 12 uh, Iowa was one point favorite. They lost by 10. We had them straight up. And then Temple, who I advised 
uh, to take it plus six and a half. They actually lost by seven. Now, I actually looked at the lines this morning to see what the closing line was because I, I locked that in yesterday morning. The game wasn't until like 7 p.m. So the line had a lot of time to move since the time I talked about it and the time I locked it in. I didn't even bother looking. The line for Temple had moved to plus 10 and a half. So actually, if you locked that Temple bet in um, when I released the podcast, assuming that you heard me say Temple plus six and a half and then went, fuck, well, then I'm definitely taking plus 10 and a half. That would have won. Because the plus six and a half that I got lost by a half a point. So even if you got plus seven and a half, you would have won. But it wouldn't have mattered because the other two legs lost. So whatever. Um, so we're down one unit um, for the official Rook Look series. Um, that being said, big weekend. Big weekend. I got a couple looks for you here. Um, first of all, I'm going to come clean again. There's a 50% NBA profit boost for any NBA bet on uh, DraftKings. I did not have time today to look uh, into that. So I'm just going to tell you like it is. A 50% profit boost is positive EV no matter what bet you place. So I'm not going to get into the math behind that. I'm just, you just have to take my word for that. I will at some point in the next However long, I will explain that more in detail. But for now, just know that if you look at a game, you see a line of nuggets minus whatever, fucking any and over this, any any bet, I would recommend just placing it on like a spread bet or a, a over under. It just throw that boost on and lock it. And I'm not saying it's going to win, obviously, but it's a, it's a positive EV bet. Unfortunately, I don't have a, an actual pick for you for that. But I just wanted to make you aware. I wanted to put that boost on your radar so you don't not use it. Um, but in the name of college basketball, which I much prefer, I love college basketball so much more than the NBA, um, there is another DraftKings 50% boost for the clash on the court, which is Dayton University at VCU, Virginia Con Commonwealth. That's at Virginia Commonwealth. Um Vegas has VCU as one and a half point underdogs. My model shows VCU as half a point seven six point favorites. So not quite a one point favorite, but my model actually has VCU as the winner of this game by a very small margin. So I like these opportunities to just go up against Vegas straight up. I like when they think one team's going to win and I think another team's going to win. So instead of taking a uh, uh, like a plus bet, this is close enough where I'm just going to say, fuck it, take the money line. I'd say lock VCU money line straight up. Um, I got that at plus 142. from I boosted from minus 105 or something. So that's a pretty good deal. Plus 142 on VCU. There's only three college basketball games tonight, so you don't have much to pick from. Um, so yeah, VCU money line, uh, boosted with the clash on the court bet on DraftKings, and also MGM has a 33% college basketball boost, um, which I guess there's only two other games to pick from, and I like to diversify my picks. Um, I'm saying throw that on San Diego State money line. This is another situation where Vegas has San Diego State as two point underdogs. My model has them as two point favorites, so it's a four point swing. I think San Diego State wins this outright. I say we we two in a row just straight up against Vegas. Straight up, Vegas, who want what? VCU money line, San Diego State money line. I got that at plus 152 
on MGM boosted from, I don't know, something else. Doesn't matter. Plus 152. Um, neither one of the teams we picked have any injuries. VCU has no injuries to be spoken for. Dayton has one injury. I don't know how significant it is, but it's, it's worse than zero injuries. And, and Nevada, who San Diego State is playing, um, they have three injuries. You have to imagine that means something. So if my model is showing San Diego State as two-point favorites and Nevada has some injuries, again, I don't know how key these injuries are, but it's still worse than no injuries. So I, I, I feel pretty confident about VCU money line, San Diego State money line. Um, M, uh, DraftKings 50% boost and MGM 33% boost respectively. Um, and then of course the big game this weekend, I'm not going to see again until Monday, but I got to have a pick for you for the fucking Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? Of course. Now look, I have a football model that I use from time to time. It does not incorporate playoff statistics. I've also learned and speculate intuitively that the playoffs are a different animal. They just are. So I, I, I do a healthy mix of both. I use my technical model, my numbers statistical model as kind of a reference point to kind of affirm or, or kind of like, you know, push back on my fundamental feelings. And my fundamental feelings are two things. Uh, fundamental thought, number one, fuck the Chiefs. I'm tired of it. I'm over it. I don't want them to win. I'm tired of seeing them win. So fundamentally speaking, I'm taking the 49ers. Fundamental concept two. My technical model shows the 49ers as something like 11-point favorites. Um, now, again, that's not based off of playoff data. But statistically speaking, the 49ers are a far superior team to the Chiefs. Who knows how much that means in this type of situation, the Super Bowl, where you have one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, one of the best dynasty, the, the dynasty of, of, of our generation, the Chiefs. Um, so who knows? But the technicals support the Niners, and my heart supports the Niners. So I'm saying throw it on the Niners' money line. The spread is only like, I think it's minus two right now. It's probably going to move to minus one and a half. It's, it's minus two for the Niners. Niners are two-point favorites. Um, the, the, I think something like more than, I think something like more than half of all bet, the line has been open for two weeks, two weeks leading up to the Super Bowl. I think more than 50% of the bets that are going to wind up coming in are going to come in on the day of. So the line is going to move. There's going to be a lot more money coming in on this game just on Sunday alone. So the line could move in any direction. If I had to guess, you know, the public you know, recreational, casual gamblers are going to be betting the day of, you know, only complete degenerate freaks like us are thinking about, you know, the, their Super Bowl bet last weekend. So, um, I think the public as a whole has a, probably has a bias towards the chiefs. Although I could be wrong. Maybe the public as a whole is tired. Of the chiefs and is going to throw on the Niners. So I don't know which way that line's going to move, but I also don't care. You know why? Because, MGM has a 58% big game boost. That's right, a 58% boost on the Super Bowl. So I think the Niners' money line is something like minus 112. Put a 50% boost on there. You can boost that money line pick to, I think it's like minus 130. So you could boost that all the way up to like a plus 130 or something like that. I don't know. Something good. 
or maybe maybe one ten plus one ten like a like like that's a good fucking boost just to throw on the money line. I wouldn't even fuck with the spread. I don't really I don't feel like caring about covering lines and shit when I'm watching the Super Bowl. I just want to enjoy it as like a straight up game and just whoever wins wins. You know, for a game like that, I just wanna I just wanna pick a team. It's a fucking championship. Pick a team and ride. So I'm riding with the 49ers plus, uh, you know, 58% boost on MGM. They also have a live boost for 58%. By the way, the significance of the 58% is I believe it's Super Bowl 58, if I'm not mistaken. So that's probably why it's that specific number. Um, this live boost, you're going to have to be smart and, and, and timely. Um, you can, uh, as, as is in the name, you can only place that bet when the game is live. So what I like to do is I like to pick my pick beforehand and then as soon as the game starts as soon as that ball is kicked and the game is officially started throw it on there before anything can happen to change the lines you know unless you're completely unlucky and like they run it back for a fucking touchdown on the opening kickoff and you're fucked outside of that chances are it's going to be a fucking touchback and you're going to have like 30 seconds to lock in a live bet before anything changes so i would recommend throwing that on the under, I think the line is sitting at 47 and a half right now. My technical model shows this game coming in at about 41 and a half. Again, I'm not super, super leaning on my technical model, but it kind of does affirm what I already fundamentally think, which is the Chiefs only scored 17 points against the Ravens last week. That was enough to win the game because the Ravens blew it. Um, regardless, the Ravens, probably the best defense in the league. The 49ers pretty much right up there with them. So I think we're going to see a similar game where there's going to be some scoring. The average NFL game is 43 and a half points. So they're projecting this game at the moment to be four more points than an average NFL game. I just don't see it. Again, I could always be wrong, but you know, it's a 50-50 bet. And when you get a 58% profit boost on that bet, it's positive EV. So I'm just going to go with my gut on that. And my gut says under 47 and a half. Uh, all, I would take it all the way down to, to 40. I would take it. I would take under. It's not going to move, you know, probably more than one or two points in either direction. So just take the under and throw that on the live boost. You got to be quick. Um, so again, the picks for tonight, Friday, February 9th, are VCU money line over Dayton and San Diego State money line over Nevada. And the Super Bowl picks, Niners straight up. And the under. Till Monday. Catch you on the other side, folks. Enjoy the game. Peace.